And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air, the official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where you will find news you won't find anywhere else about Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. I am Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks so much for listening. We trust that you have signed up for our newsletter. If you haven't, go to DelawareValleyJournal.com right now. There you will find the outstanding work of our intrepid reporter, Linda Stein. Linda, how are you? Great, Michael. How are you? Well, I'm in a great mood because today's a day that I'm reminded of how lucky I am to have tossed that loser, Todd Shepard, from a, on board Delaware Valley Journal and replaced Whoa. him with the dulcet tones of, oh, is he, did he already dial in? Oh, I didn't know. <clears throat> he hey, Todd, how you doing? Just talking about you. Uh, hi, Michael. <laughs> and uh, that uh, I'm tidying up the last pages of my lawsuit quite nicely right now. No, I'm a big Todd Shepard fan. Uh, we read your stuff uh, at Broad and Liberty all the time. And occasionally we will uh, publish some of it at uh, Delaware Valley Journal. And one of the, there are two topics that we have both kind of independently, you know, been keeping an eye on. One of them is uh, Senator Bob Casey running for a fourth term. Very unusual. In fact, I think you'll be the first Democrat to ever be elected to four terms to the U.S. Senate from Pennsylvania. And Broad and Liberty, uh, you you noticed uh, some shifts in the senator's attitude about donations, funding campaigns, et cetera. Right. Well, we were just uh, we try when we have the chance to go through, um, you know, quarterly fundraising reports. Uh, I'm, you know, you and Linda, I'm sure have, have seen more than enough in, in your reporting days. Um, so it's it's a, a little bit of a grind. But as we were looking at Casey's did some rough math. And and again, this is quarter one. So January through March and about 75,000 of his uh, fundraising haul came from political corporate PACs, you would say, um, and only about 70,000 came from actual Pennsylvania citizens. So right out of the gate, it's it's a nice start for the corporate PACs, at least with the right. Bob Casey reelection. And has uh, Casey said anything in the past about corporate money, PAC money, business money, influence, big, big dollar influence on campaigns? Right. So that's that's interesting because because of his cycles, you know, like, I, I don't I can't imagine that he's run, uh, you know, in one of these years where Elizabeth Warren was was really making this sort of a a new litmus test for Democrats. Right. Right. But so if you sort of set that aside, um, you would have to say that, yes, uh, look, basically every elected Democrat made these kinds of statements when um, when Citizens United was decided, you know, somewhere around 2014. Uh, and then Democrats, uh, especially Senate Democrats, you know, always talked about overturning it or making new laws that would tweak it or th those kinds of things. And so back in 2014, yeah, I mean, Bob Casey talked about the, you know, the corrupting the well, not the corrupting the that corporate money like that could skew the political landscape to advantage corporations over citizens. And so um you know, that's what he said in 2014. And then his quarter one um, fundraising actually shows a skew of corporations over citizens. And a lot of um, his donors are the big pharma companies, which uh, we have several in the Philadelphia area as employers. Yeah, I, Linda, I do think that's a, an interesting point that, um, you know, look, uh, I'm, I'm sure that when Casey's going to kick off his fundraising, he's going to start with the low-hanging fruit and the, the, the 
people he's known for decades now. And a lot of that will be, as you said, the those pharmaceutical companies that are well-established in the Philadelphia area or in Delaware. Um, and so I, I don't think you can necessarily say it's that's his fault, but I, I do think that that's still an interesting twist. And it will be interesting to see if that becomes an issue uh, further down the campaign. Not just because, look, I, I'm, I'm old enough. I, and I, I, I roll my eyes when I hear other people say that phrase. <laughs> But I'm old enough to remember when Hillary Clinton really attacked the pharmaceutical companies when she was proposing Hillary Care back in like 1994 or something, right? And and now and and that was almost exclusively a Democrat thing. But now, because of the pandemic, because of you know Republican sort of populist uh, upset with the, the 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 COVID vaccine and and different things about that, big pharma is is really kind of a bipartisan grudge you know like i don't think there's one party that that distrusts miss big or that distrusts big pharma more than the other and so that's why i think it could that this this little nugget of information could be uh interesting to watch unfold as as we get closer to the election so good point linda um well the fetterman race against dr oz was i believe the second most expensive in the country last year um, how do you think that Casey and whichever Republican runs against him will shape up? Pricey too? Um, so I, I see this answer in two scenarios. Um, I think it's not pricey if Doug Mastriano wins. Um, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, impart my own political feelings about the state senator when I say that, but I um, he obviously showed when he ran for governor that political fundraising was not his strong point. And it's not exactly clear that he's made any serious attitudinal changes that would allow him to fundraise. Essentially, he needs to build bridges with the fundraising establishment and Mastriano's positions himself as an anti-establishment Republican. So that's a difficult bridge to get put together. Um, if it's someone else, then I think it's Dave McCormick, and at that point, McCormick brings in his own his own money, and at that point, yes, oh, I, he I, doesn't bring in his own money. He it, gets a mountain of national money if it's Dave McCormick, uh, because the uh, path to winning back the uh, U.S. Senate could come through Pennsylvania. You've got West Virginia, and that's going to be a, a good a chance for a pickup, Republicans believe. You've got Montana, which is going to be tougher because Tester, Senator John Tester is choosing to run for re-election, and he's a Democrat in a Trump state, but he's very popular. And so a lot of Republicans in D.C. are already looking and saying, if we can get McCormick versus Casey, you know, we, we think we may have a shot in Pennsylvania, particularly if Trump's at the top of the ticket and he pulls out a bunch of low-motivation, blue-collar workers – who will show up to vote for Trump and then pretty much vote for the rest of the Republicans while they're there. Right. But it, even with those, with those corrections, which I, I would, I would basically agree with everything you just said. Right. Mm -hmm. um, look, that, that puts it in the second, that puts it in one of the top two. I'd, I'd find one of those political gambling websites and lay 10 bucks on the fact that's that the Pennsylvania Senate race in 2024 would be one of the top two most expensive races yes. in the country. That's yeah, a bad I, idea. I, I agree. I agree with you. And that's so we're, we're in agreement. So I, because I agree with Todd Shepard, I'm now having to reconsider all of my uh, decisions. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about something on Casey that rarely gets discussed, which is he was at one time 
the the icon of yes, there is room in the Democratic Party for pro-life you know, politicians. He has now completely reversed himself. He supported the, uh, uh, the I forget the name of the Women's Protection Act. I'm, I'm mismangling the name, but it basically it was the, the Democratic proposal that would allow uh, unlimited access to abortion all the way through to, the, to birth uh, and mandate that at the state level around the country. Is, is that issue just gone? I mean, is, is Casey's, is, is, is that like the old Bob Casey? Are we now at Casey 2.0 or 3.0 and that just doesn't come up anymore? I think so. And, you know, as you're asking that, Michael, my, my mind just starts thinking about all these things, about all the discussions the American populace has had about the news cycle uh, over the Trump years and the way, right. you know, it seemed like years would happen in a single day. And it seems to me like the net effect of having more news um, and having more information through social media outlets and all this stuff is our political memory has grown shorter. Right. Um, and so honestly, I, I mean, first of all, yes, you're absolutely right that he used to have that position and, 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 and it wasn't like it was just something that he, he felt personally out of his own, you know, like it, that's just something he arrived at independently. It was based in large part on the political stances of his father, who had also been a senator, U.S. senator in Pennsylvania. Right. So, I mean, that, you know, that, that tells you that it was kind of a legacy political position. That's how important it was. But now, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't come up. Um, no one seems to care. And I think most of all, Bob Casey doesn't care because I still think, you know, Democrats right now think, <clears throat> and all data seems to show really that, that abortion right now in the post Dobbs era is a winning issue for them, at least right now. And so I'm, you know, I think he likes exactly where he is and that the public has forgotten where he used to be. Well, Todd, the other thing Casey is now hewing the democratic line on is guns. He, he came into office as um, pretty, pretty much a uh, uh, pro uh, hunting, pro uh, gun uh stance and now he's shifted totally to where he's uh, uh, for gun control and he and he urges other senators he's, he said something like well I didn't I didn't light on fire when I <laughs> changed my mind <laughs> yeah I you know gun control at least when we're talking about you know trying to look into our crystal balls and and especially for something that's so much further down the road is um, that debate is is driven exclusively by the news and the tragedies in the news. And so it's hard for me to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to see uh, or to, to issue any kind of prediction on that. Um, I, I do think that there is, look, I don't wanna say Democrats don't believe in gun control, they do, but I think it's a little bit in the same way Republicans work on the national debt is, they know most of their proposals only, are, only tinker around the edges and, um, and they don't really do that much substantively. Um, and, but they have to do them anyways, just for, uh, for messaging and, and you know, for just for political optics, um, as cliche as that sounds. So I'm not surprised. I mean, I think there's been more consolidation politically in the Democrat camp 
uh, in DC as there have been more of these mass shootings in, in the recent years. And you really almost have to be someone from a, uh, and, and you know, I, know I, I know we all know the James Carville joke about Pennsylvania, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia and Alabama in between, but you still really have to have that really rural constituency like a, a West Virginia or something for, for gun control to really resonate, not just with Republican voters, but with Democrat voters as well. So I want to move on and, and uh, finish up our conversation with Todd Shepard to talk about a story that you and Linda Stein have both been covering, uh, you know, keeping an eye on, which is the uh, controversy at Central Bucks. And Linda, I want to start with you. If you could just lay out for our readers what's been going on and what we've reported, and then uh, Todd Shepard has some interesting stuff to add. Well, uh, in Central Bucks, um, the, there was a change in control of the school board. And when the Republicans or more conservative school board members uh, took control, um, a lot of the Democrats basically freaked out. <laughs> and um, none of this really came to light, but the, the, the Republicans uh, tried to put in place or have put in place uh, some common sense measures. Um, and uh, they've, uh, faced a lot of opposition. So just recently, they had given in and hired this law firm to uh, investigate what was going on. And it turned out that a lot of what their critics uh, were saying was totally bogus. And a teacher who was basically leading the criticism, um, it turned out that he was keeping secrets from the administration about bullying of at least one or two of the trans students. And um, so this was all new and um, I'll let Todd take it from here because the editorial talks about some of the other media outlets who uh, were not so happy because this didn't um, uh, mesh with their narratives. And yeah, and Todd, I also, I'm interested that the the issues were regarding around the 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 policies towards uh, teaching sex gender you know very controversial issues of the moment lots of parents lots of different views about how it should be handled that's that's at the heart of this right um, that that that's at the heart of it in a, a kind of summary way the more nitty gritty of the policies are that uh, you know. Policy three, two, one, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm like, if that's too much in the weeds, but like, this is how intense this Dude, we would not want a Todd Shepard podcast if we were not prepared to get into the weeds. <laughs> what, what's the point of having Todd? It's like having me play golf. If you don't want to be in the weeds, you shouldn't have invited me. So as long as it's not the poison ivy. So, uh, you know, it, it prohibits um, the display of, of political signage or political flags in classrooms. So the, the opponents to this have basically said, well, they banned pride flags. The school district says, no, we banned all political flags. So for example, you can't have a Trump flag in a classroom. You can't have a Confederate flag in a classroom unless that Confederate flag, it, you're doing something curriculum based with it or the Trump flag or the pride flag. And so, uh, you know, another good, a very good example, I won't give you the policy number, but the, the, the board has essentially said, we call the student by the name, you know, by their birth name, and we don't change their name if they're transgender unless the parent tells us to do so. 
And so this really makes it a, a parental rights struggle. And you can see where this has really inflamed passions of parents, but also transgender students who say they're being dead named. So, uh, at Lin but Linda, Linda's summary, uh, you know, she obviously hit the high point that the, the uh, you know, that investigation by, this was the Dwayne Morris law firm, a couple of former federal prosecutors, uh, Bill McSwain, who I trust most of your podcast listeners know, he ran for governor, he was a former US attorney. And then also another former, prosecu former prosecutor, Michael Rinaldi, they, you know, they were hired by the district. They did this months-long investigation, and Linda's summary I would largely agree with. Um, what what she teed up for me though here was the media coverage, and in particular at Broad and Liberty, we focused on media coverage on a couple of ways. And some of the most negative coverage of the district has come from WHYY, and so for example, like. You know, we, we highlighted a couple of stories in a report we did where there was no appearance that the reports either reached out to the district to get their comment, um, and there was no effort to even try to summarize what the district's position was, um, even if a, a comment wasn't received. And so after the, the Dwayne Morris report came out, we were eager to see the coverage from the, yeah. you know, the Inquirer, the Bucks County Courier, and especially WHYY, and then six whole business days went by, <clears throat> excuse me, six whole business days went by with no follow-up story on the release of this investigation from Dwayne Morris uh, from WHYY. And so this morning, uh, and this is Tuesday, uh, we, you know, not me, I, I'm not a part of the editorial team, but brought in liberty for, uh, from the editor's house editorial, uh, put out there, Hey, wait a second, what gives? WHYY used to publish same day accounts of things that were going on in the Central Bucks School District. And now this report comes out that undercuts a, a huge chunk of the narrative and six whole business days went by and they didn't report on it. Now they did, they did post a report on Monday, May 1, but we feel that's largely because Broad and Liberty sent them a request for comment first thing in the morning on that Monday and said, what gives with no reporting on the on the Dwayne Morris report? And by about 3.30 in the afternoon, their story was finally posted. And they got back to us and said, oh, we do have a story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you know, classic. It, well, and that's six full business days and two full weekends. And as the editorial in, in Broad and Liberty points out, and this was a very recent development, just a month ago, when the teacher at the center of the controversy, Andrew Burgess, when he filed suit through the ACLU against the district, uh, uh, an actual federal complaint, he, uh, WHYY, reported on that development the same day. Of course. The same day. And then here you have this, this uh, report that came out on a Thursday night. We know the reporter was there. We know this for a fact. Um, nothing came out that Friday. No, nothing over the weekend, and then an entire whole work week elapsed with nothing. And I would add, because this is not in the editorial, it's not as though this reporter was reporting on anything else during that week. There was right. nothing from her, so it's not as though she could claim to be pulled away from different so from competing priorities. And they didn't tell you she was on vacation either, did they? <laughs> Unfortunately for them, they did not offer that up as an excuse, Linda. <laughs> 
Well, the editorial, you also mentioned the inquirer's coverage too of the Central Box School District. Right, and in this case, uh, our editorial team was not really critical of the inquirer reporters, but back in December, um, the, the inquirer editorial board wrote an op-ed uh, and, and basically they tried to use as a platform the idea that this investigation was going to cost a lot of money. Um, and it did. It's, it, nobody knows the final figure, but it's going to be in the very low seven figures. You know, it's going to be a, a million dollars and some change. Um, but they really, they, they, they expressed or showed no journalistic skepticism whatsoever. I mean, they basically bought the ACLU's complaints hook, line, and sinker. Um, they repeated them with, with no skepticism, no curiosity at all. Um, and one of the things that sort of shocked our whole team was that they, they said the only way this can be remedied is for the school board to be replaced immediately. Which uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was kind of the reaction. So, and we actually sent them an email and said, what do you mean by replaced immediately? Are you saying, are you advocating for a recall election that should start right now? And, and so, um, were they, or did they just want the board just summarily fired on the spot? Cause it's you know, this whole democracy thing. It just slows you down. You're like voting and count. What, what about, we should just get rid of the people that were elected to do the job and replace them with good people like us. Well, and to that point, Michael is they had made that same point about the Krasner impeachment. They were saying, you know, right. this is crazy. That So, <laughs> um, you know, we thought that that was a little odd coming from them. So, uh, but above all, the, the, the House editorial from, from our publications basically said there is a second side to this story that's mm -hmm. going to be told, and you should have had the journalistic sort of sense uh, to, right. to wait for it. And now that the second side is out, um, we think the Inquirer owes the public a follow-up editorial. Sure. Now, you know, from Broad and Liberty standpoint, well, you know, our editor said they should apologize. Will they? Uh, you know, I'm, that's but not something. Hold your but, breath. Yeah, but that's I, something I'm not going to put ten dollars. But I want to. I want to back up because it's not just the uh, the opinion about what was happening. What's frustrating to me is on these stories, uh, particularly stories about what's going on in classrooms and in school facilities. As a reader, as a news consumer, I just want to know the fact. Before you get to your, we know what the spin's going to be. We know that what HYY is going to be lefty, partly or this whatever. The frustration for me is, okay, so what book was in the library and who had it? So fifth graders had a book that had a drawing of guys having sex with each other. And that was in the fifth grade library. It, it, that's a, give me that, this just the fact. So at least I know what the parameters of the debate are, but you cannot find out what the curriculum is. Like, like you said about the flag rule, you can't find out what's the rule. Could you just tell me the rule before you tell me what it means and whose side I should be on? Just tell me. What does the curriculum say? Do you really have a book from uh, from Ibram X. Kendi that says that white people are uniquely bad compared to people of color and that being born white makes you more bad than your fellow classmates? I just, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But could you please tell me what's in it? And that's my frustration with HYY and the Inquirer and the Bucks County paper and on and on and on. You just can't get the facts. Well, and like, I think another good example of that, Michael, is the day after this Dwayne Morris report that we're talking about here in Central Bucks, 
the Bucks County Courier, like I remember the way this author summarized it. And this was like three quarters of the way down in the story. It said Rinaldi, and that's the attorney who was giving the presentation, that Rinaldi spent most of his time trying to undermine the credibility of Burgess. Well, you know, actually Rinaldi showed about two dozen emails many of which were very damning. And, um, and, and Rinaldi also showed many emails from the school administrators right. where they were actively trying to care for these students and they were on the hunt for this kind of bullying and harassment. Right. And so, you know, look, I, I know that news has to summarize. If it doesn't, it, it's not being quick enough for us to get on with our lives. And that's a key thing that news has to do. But in some of these cases, like you just said, the summary is leaving out important facts and and you're at, I mean, I just couldn't agree more that with with your sort of annoyance there. Yeah. Well, I know people tune into the podcast, Linda, to be annoyed. So I think we've done our job here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and if you want to annoy your listeners, you start by inviting Todd Shepard from Broad and Liberty. Thanks. We really appreciate your time. Seriously. Thanks so much. Took the words right out of my mouth. Thanks. Good to talk to you both. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.